Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, uh, June gloom has been in full effect this year. I mean, it, it wasn't bad last year. It's really crazy. And today, as I'm coming to the studio, it looks like rain. There's leaves blowing everywhere, but it's sort of that warm, that East Coast warmth where it just it's hot as the wind blows. And as I'm looking in the in the sky, I'm thinking one thing: Sharknado. I swear to God, because it just looks like it looks like if you saw that movie, it looks like that weather. It's just it's disgusting out, and uh, hopefully it will clear up because. You know, you just I moved out here to get out of that weather. So anyway, we have a great show today. We have a we have a very talented gentleman and uh, his name is Matt Starr. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. How are you? Before we start talking about your career, I got to ask you about the mustache, because yeah. now you have you've had this mustache for how long? Uh, probably about four years. Okay. Yeah. And now or more, a little more. And you you grew it because you're not a hipster. All you grew it now. It must piss no. you off because now all these hipsters are copying your look. Yeah. Well, I wear regular adult pants, so yeah. you can tell me from <laughs> from the hipsters. I mean, I know you're not, so I just think when I saw your pictures, and you have a company also. Uh, right. And Do- yeah, Dr. Star's Mustache Apparel. Now, how'd you start that? Just because it's just because you – it's so cool. It's such a great idea because I have a friend back east, a guy named Jim Daly, who is one of those beard and mustache competitors. Like, he's great. He's got a huge one. And they have to use product. I mean, I knew the guy for years, and he would wax the thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I did comedy, we were on the road together, and he came out of his hotel room – and he didn't have the wax on, and the thing hung down like ages. Yeah. So how did you decide to get into that business? Well, um, basically, I was uh, I was out on tour with some guys, and it was an all-star band, and everyone had merch they were selling. So we'd be at the merch table, and I'd be signing stuff, but none of it was my stuff. So these guys had done a record. Three of them had done a record together. Another guy had some other things. So I didn't have any merch, you know. So I said, I'm standing here at the table, and I'm, I could be making money. I'm just signing, you know, napkins and pieces of paper. So I um, just came up with this uh, design. So it's it's just a T-shirt line, you know. So okay. so it's all these fictional products. And I love all the stuff from the 20s and the 30s where it's, you know, the elixir that cures all, and it's got cocaine and heroin and all right. this stuff. And, you know what I mean? So it's just – it's kind of like a little bit of that charlatan vibe, but I love the art. Art Deco style. So we did the first logo like that, and it caught on, and so we just kept going. Because I went to your website. You have three, I believe. We have three, yeah. Okay, and now, now you take them when you go on the road. Do you sell them? Yeah, depending on who I'm, I'm out with. You know, I uh, have we have them at the merch table, and then we do a lot of business online, and we're in some stores uh, around the country too. So you you always have to keep that mustache. I'm I'm locked in. I know. Sir, I'm thinking yeah. about it. it's like one of those things you can't sell like a mustache thing with you know. So so anyways, right. so so you're you're from Connecticut. We yeah. Now. At what age, because you've been drumming for a long time, at what age did you decide to pick up the drumsticks? Because what I found is most drummers start usually like 9 or 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. When did you start? Yeah, I was in uh, sixth grade. I was totally obsessed with Kiss. And um, I wanted to play guitar. So we had the J.C. Penny catalog. Okay. Right? You know, so which was like, you know, the the the, uh, the old school, equi- the analog equivalent of Amazon now, right? So this big phone book, you'd flip through and I'd look. And there was never anything of interest to me. I mean, it's a bunch of clothes and yard equipment and stuff. But, um, you know, so I found a guitar in there and I told my folks that I wanted that for Christmas. I was all excited and I ended up getting a bike. Okay. So you're like great, but no, a bike's not bad. But. No, it's cool, and that and that and that that's the kid's mind. I was crushed, and then like halfway through the day, I said to myself, "Dude, you got a bike." Exactly. And I was like, oh, "Okay, that's cool." So, um, but anyway, then my mom was like, "Well, you know what? If you really want to play an instrument, you can. Um, they got school band, and you can play drums." And I said, "Yeah, okay, cool." Which is cool that a parent, because my brother played the drums mm-hmm. also, which is cool that a parent says that because drums are possibly the loudest instrument to practice on. I mean, a guitar, you can say, you know, put it 
an acoustic, but I right. grew up with a place where my sister played the cello and the French horn, oh, and my brother played the drums, and I insane. played nothing, yeah. and between the downstairs and the upstairs, I had nowhere to go. Yeah, no, no escape. I mean, some of those instruments, too, if you're like a violin or something like that, or a trumpet, if you're not good, it's just terrible. It just sounds like someone's, you know, torturing a cat. So, yeah, I, parents are uh, pretty amazing, and the, I think they had no idea what they were getting into, because the drums are loud. Now, did you did you start quickly? Did you take to it very quickly? Because I always say, you know, one thing about for drummers, what uh, amazes me is the over coordination you have to have because it's not like an instrument where a guitar, okay, you move your hands. Mm-hmm. But the, I learned when I was watching my brother drum, I would get behind the drum set and I'd be like an idiot. Mm-hmm. But you guys have to sit there, and I it just amazes me because it's hard enough just to do a snare drum. But then you have to move in a cymbal, and then you have to use the bass, mm-hmm. and then you get the hi hat, right. and then you pull out the the brushes, and then you have some guys. You probably now some of the gong, but right. I mean, how how long did it take you to really feel like you? We're getting the feel of it, and did you get frustrated in the very beginning? Because I think it could be very frustrating if you don't pick it up right away. Yeah, I tore a lot of posters from throwing drumsticks across <laughs> the room. I remember I was trying to learn the intro to Rock of Ages by Def Leppard, which is like sort of an intricate thing for a beginner, you know, and and it was dinner time, and my mom said, dinner. I go, okay, hold on. I just, if I can play it one time <laughs> through, then I'll go eat dinner. I'll have peace of mind. And, you know, anyway, but uh, yeah, no, it made sense to me. Yeah, it made sense to me, and I started out taking lessons, um, and my favorite part of the lesson was I would trade fours with the teacher and I didn't know how to really count at that point but he said wow he goes you always come right out you end at the right spot so he'd give me a drum break and I'd do the do this fill or whatever and then I'd end at the right spot so I had some sort of like internal understanding of it I think so you're playing and now you're playing through high school yeah now are you in the high school band no I was in the uh the elementary school band for like two months but um I ended up quitting because they give these young men Drumsticks, drums, cymbals. Okay, now stay here. Don't touch anything. And then he goes and works on the flutes. And then he goes, so we're in the back of the class with all this shit that we, you know, if I was a music teacher, I'd say, here's this stuff for the next 20 minutes, just wail on everything. Go ahead. Because we never even got to play it, you know? So then at the end, he goes, okay, let's hear the drum part. That sounds great. Okay, trumpets. You know what I mean? So we ended up getting in a lot of trouble and, um, you know, I just kind of wasn't getting, I thought it was going to be drums the whole time. And a lot of it was just like sitting still being quiet. So how do you pursue the the drumming career? So you, you don't, you're not playing, are you, are you, did you start a band in high school or anything or did you mm-hmm. want to start a band and, and what kind of music did you play? Yeah. When I was in fifth grade, there was this kid that, um, was a black belt in karate was the word on the street. So he wanted to fight me. You know, so every day after school, I was like, where's that guy? Where is that guy? You know, (laughs) and so one day now I'm in uh, sixth grade. He's in seventh grade, which is a different school. And there's my mom comes up and goes, oh, there's a couple of kids that are here to see you. I go, okay. So now this dude walks into my room. So he's in my room with me. And I'm like, (laughs) they're going to kill me. And so he goes, hey, we heard you playing. We hear you playing when we walk down the street. You know, you sound really good. I play guitar and this other guy plays guitar. And so we we started a band. So, um, you know, at that point, um, that's we were off, you know, playing Judas Priest, Kiss. See, it's funny. Kiss, Kiss was so big. I remember, I remember when I was growing up when Kiss came out with the uh, was it Rock and Roll Forever album. It's like I think it was that one with had the the pinwheel that a sticker in the, in the album. Oh, Rock and Roll Over. Rock and Roll Over. Yeah. And I remember that was like the uh, big album. Like you were cool if you had that sticker in your notebook. I had a blue three ring binder, mm-hmm. and you'd always put like your top bands and 
and and then we had that and that was like your symbol of like yeah you like music because you had that sticker right yeah exactly so as you're playing with them i mean you're in fifth grade so you're not hitting the road when do you sit there and decide that this is actually going to be my career because you're you know you go through high school now how long did you stay with this band that you met these guys we were uh probably till i was about 16 or so it, it stayed together you know um and yeah, now I, you know what I used to do? I used to just stare at the inside of Kiss Alive 2, which was a live record, and it had their stage, and they were up on these risers, and there's smoke and flames and sparks and all this stuff. And I just would stare at the inside of that, and I just wanted to be in there with those guys. I didn't know what they did. I knew they played music. I didn't understand that they were famous or had money or girls or anything. I just wanted to be in there. So then I just kind of did all the logical extensions of that, you know, and then when it came time in high school and, you know, go visit the guidance counselor, she said, what do you want to do? I said, I just want to play music. Oh, well, here's a great music college. I go, no, I don't want to go to school. Right. I want to play music. Like, you know, I didn't, the, the idea of music school didn't make sense to me at that age, you know? Um, and so after about three trips there, she said, okay, so, oh, you're still playing music? Yeah. Okay, cool. You can just go sit in the, in the lobby. So I just wanted to play. That's all I wanted to do. So I kind of didn't really... Make a dis- I mean, they say, you know, you don't pick music, music picks you. That's like pretty corny, but that's kind of the deal. I mean, I, I, I just, like I said, I just wanted to be in that Kiss record when I was like seven years old. I just want to be in that world and it never changed, you know? So I just kept doing that. So where do you go? You're, you're, you get out of high school yeah. and you want to, you have this dream yeah. and you're in Connecticut still. Right. Okay. Which is a good location because you're not too far from New York and mm-hmm. there's plays, venues and stuff like that. Yeah. But when you graduate high school, it's when you, some people go to college and you want to be a musician. How do you, how do you try to start taking it to the next level where you can become a professional and actually get paid for it? I mean, it's like anything. I have friends who, you know, play drums and guitar, but they're salesmen. You know, it's like right. they, they sit there and they just play and I go, well, why don't you just go play somewhere? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm like, no, well, you know, I mean, I said, just do it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a matter of, you know, so you decided just to do it. So yeah. where, where do you go? So I got, uh, I had some buddies of mine were moving to LA and, um, so they had a big party and this guitar player from this band called run 21, which was a regional big deal. You know, they were like the big regional band. So they would do Connecticut and Boston and New York and they do that whole thing. And then they kind of go down the East coast. So these guys were legends. We always knew about them. And so the guitar player was there and, um, we ended up jamming together. And then later on, he asked me to join the band. So, so then I started playing with them. So now I'm 17, 18 and playing bars, which I'm, you know, not old enough to to get in, but we're playing. And so now I'm starting to see like how things work and how to do a professional show and, and all that kind of stuff, you know? Well, how do you acclimate at that age? I mean, cause you know, I, I remember, you know, when I went to college, it was like, we were on our own, you know, and it was, it was crazy, you know, it's just, it's life, but there's a difference between being in college, which is fun and you can do whatever you want, but mm-hmm. it's got a somewhat of a tame environment, but you know, it's like anything when you're in a band and I know from growing up in New Jersey, some of the, uh, the popular local bands have a huge following. Yeah. And for a 17-year-old, I mean you're you're in a bar which you've never been in a bar. Mm-hmm. I mean how do you how do you get I mean it must just be a weird thing and women are probably hitting on you and it's yeah. so it just it must be an odd thing especially if the age is 18 then they're screwed. <laughs> right. But no, I mean how did you acclimate to it? Did, were you just blown away by it or were you just like totally into it? I remember it was it was interesting being around a bunch of adults essentially. You know what I mean? I'm 17 and these like most all these people are over 21 and you got people in their 20s and their 30s. So I was I was definitely like the youngest guy. And I've still 
all the the gigs that I've done, I'm I'm always the youngest guy. So you know, more recently, I'm playing with Mr. Big, and again, I'm the youngest guy. So it's kind of funny. It's like always been that way. Um, so yeah, no, it made sense to me because I, that's what I wanted, you know. So part of it was like, wow, this is so cool, and the other part was like, yeah, of course, you know, this is. I was just so focused on doing it and doing it well that I don't think I was really kind of blown away by the whole thing. But I, like I said, I was aware of just being around adults. You know, did, did, it, did, did they let you drink? Or did the band, or? I didn't drink. No, I didn't drink until I was like 22, okay. 23, and uh, just kind of wasn't really attracted to it. You know, it wasn't like some big moral decision, but yeah. So I'm actually, that's probably a good thing because yeah, that, okay. that probably would have gotten in the way. But So you're playing with them mm-hmm. and everyone has to make a decision because, you know, you're sitting there going, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong against cover bands or small. I mean, some people make a great living yeah no they, this is an original band okay, they, but, they but did so, records and all that stuff yeah. but there's a point where you have to sit there and decide you know do i want to stay in connecticut or mm-hmm. boston or do i want to get to the point of when you were seven years old when you saw that album so do you decide that, when did you decide to come to la uh i moved to la i think i was in my early i played with that band for a few years and then um one of the guitar the guitar player left to play with wasp and he's still with them to this day uh doug blair um and it took me another year or two, but I came out to LA and I came out here for a year and it just, it didn't click. I didn't get it, you know? Now, what year was this? That's a good, I'm so bad with years. Was it like, was it the Sunset Strip hopping then? Or? No, it was like towards the the end of that. I think it was probably like the early 90s. Now, yeah. where'd you live? I always ask people, where'd you live when you first moved out here? Uh, Ma- Magnolia and Lancashire. Because you were in Burbank. Yeah. Okay, well, it's funny because I, I mean, I live in Burbank and it's it's just great because Magnolia and Lancashire, just to like a year ago, when you would leave Burbank, it'd be like smooth roads. Mm-hmm. As soon as you hit like that side of North Hollywood, it'd be like one big pothole. Right. Never, and finally it's fixed. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an okay area. So you're living out here and, and you didn't click. You didn't like the scene for that? I didn't. No, I didn't get it. I, I don't... Uh... I don't know where my head was at. I mean, obviously, I wanted to play music and stuff, but I just it just didn't click. So, what did you, you do know? when you were out here the first year? Were you did you get have to get a job like a? Yeah, I got a gig driving as a courier. Okay. You know, so uh, I had a pickup truck because the drummer always has to have some right. oversized, inconvenient, gas guzzling vehicle, and um, so yeah, I did that, and I would wake up and listen to Howard Stern, and then try and be done by like one in the afternoon, and then come back and sleep, and then. You know, go out at night. Now, what did you decide to move back to Connecticut after that year? Yeah. Okay, so now when you went back, did you get into a band again, or what happened? So then, that's when I started. Uh, that's when I started playing guitar and singing. Okay. You know, I'd always done that a little bit, but I said, you know, I, I really want to do this, and I think I can do it. So I learned a couple songs and and sang and and realized like, okay, I can actually do this. And then I started writing, and then so from there, I started a band called The Flames and. We had a demo deal with Atlantic, and we were playing in New York and showcase, and we did that whole thing. And so, you know, it didn't it didn't amount to anything more than that. But we did a record, and you know. and you were singing on that. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you miss the drums, or I mean, how was the transition? Because no, one, I, I, did, did you write the music? Yeah, I did. Okay. So, what, did you write a strong? I mean, I would always think, you know, like anything, if you write it, you have a, the way it's going to sound. Mm-hmm. But when you have when you're playing a guitar and singing, is one thing. But when you hear the drummer. It's probably very hard, hard on him because one, you know how you think it should sound, but mm-hmm. two, you probably think you could play better than him because yeah. you're a drummer. I mean, how is that? Was that hard to get used to? Uh, harder for him, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And I and I see him when I go back and we'll have some drinks. And go, I love you, buddy. Oh, I love you too, brother. You know, and I'm like, I'm oh, sorry for all that shit. He's like, yeah, me too, man. How's it? You know, so yeah, it, it was challenging. And, um, you know, because I had a clear vision of how I wanted it to sound. And um, and it was a really great band. You know, it was influenced a lot by uh, Cheap Trick and Joan Jett. And we actually did some, uh, like some touring with Joan. And um, it was that whole thing, you know, had that vibe. And and I remember when we were mixing the record and I was telling the guy who was mixing it, I said, you know, less reverb, no reverb. I don't want a reverb. And he goes, it's going to sound like a demo. I go, not like a demo, but just like that raw. Because I always like when you get the raw, you get the demo tape or the uh, the rough mix. And then the final mix would sound too clean and too, too slick. And... Uh, we had a, a manager, this guy, Rick Alberti, who had worked with Kiss and, and a bunch of uh, Queen and stuff like that. And so I remember him saying, you know, I, th- I think we might be too early with this. And I didn't know what he meant. And then like maybe four or five years later, Jet came out with that. Are you going to be my girl in the strokes and all that? And that engineer called me and goes, I, I know what you're talking about now. I get it. You know, because everything got all stripped down and there was no guitar solos and all. And that's what we were doing. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I love doing that. I love singing. I love writing. I still do. And so um, I did that. Then I came out to LA in 2002. Had you guys broken up or? Did... Yeah. Yeah. It just had r- ran its course. And you know, it's something interesting that happened. I've seen this happen with other bands. When the labels start getting interested, then they start making comments. And then you start like, okay, maybe we'll tweak it a little bit this way. Tweak it this way. And then it just, I just, said i don't even recognize this band anymore isn't like, that doesn't that suck it's, it's that happens that happens in all aspects it happens with you know screenplays or, or acting you know they go well hey you know we want you to do this or you know and, and it's just it's sad because a lot of times the executives have never played music mm-hmm. like the producers who write have never written a screenplay have never done comedy and it's just it's sad because i think it also starts getting into the minds of the band also because they say, and I always hear like, oh, well, you know, that guy, he might just not have the right look. Mm-hmm. You know, and it goes back to like the, the Brady Bunch when they wanted Greg to be Johnny Bravo. Lose everybody because you fit right. the suit. And it's yeah. just, it must yeah. be hard, especially when you're younger and you get this break and you're thinking, you know, a record label. Wow, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it must be, it must be really taxing on a musician. Yeah, it's confusing and, it, and it's really uh, just detrimental to the art. You know, because that that creative place is such a sacred place. It's kind of like when a baby's in an incubator. You know, they just can't. You just can't go in there with your bare hands and touch the thing. You'll kill it. You right. know, it's that kind of thing. And so there's a balance with that. And that's why you know you have managers. You know, will hopefully insulate the artist from what the label's saying and be able to explain it to to the artist in the in the right way and, and protect the artist when you know what I mean? That's what that's all about in an ideal situation. So you guys break up and then yeah. you move to LA. Do you come out solo? Or do you- uh, so uh Alex Grassi who had played uh in the, the last incarnation of the Flames moved out here and now he's with Quiet Riot and he's been with them for a number of years. Um so he moved out here and he started playing there was a band called Ignite which is OC hardcore band. And they had written this, they did this record and it ended up on a video game. And so Fred Durst is playing this video game from Limp Bizkit and he had his own uh, label on Wind Up. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, with Danny Wimmer and Wind Up. Um, so he's playing this video game and he just fell in love with this tune. So he had his A&R guy contact the band and say, you know, is this a band? And they and they're like, we don't have a band. Alex is like, yes, we have a band. Yep, we right. do. And he was like, dude, you need to get out here now, you know, because we have a showcase and Rick Rubin is coming and and all this stuff. So there was a bunch. So so that got me out here. And, and what was the band called? 
It was called Zoli Band okay. uh, at the time. So Zoli uh, is the singer for this band, Ignite. So you come out, and then all of a sudden, you're out here, and you're showcasing again. Yeah. So that must be exciting. Yeah, and it's and it's it, it was it was great, and it, it got me out here, and then but so now I'm playing drums, but I still really want to sing. So I'm just driving this band nuts because I'm really wanting to be the leader of the band, but I'm not yet ready to just be the drummer. You know, so um, so we played for about six months, and you know, as these things go, just kind of fell apart. You know, now is that disappointing? Because you know, you know, because I don't, I talk to musicians, and and you know, you talk about the record deals, but I talk a lot about a lot of actors who get into a pilot, and it doesn't get picked up, but then they're happy to do it. Now, for for a musician, is it is it very disappointing? I mean, is it is it hard? Is it like you're losing something when you you're you get you have the showcase or a record deal signs you and it just doesn't work out i mean how do you keep you know keep going i mean is it is it depressing when it happens or is it something that it ha- it seems like it happens a lot or is it just something that you go okay well we're in the music business we're going to get screwed over or a deal's going to fall through by at least two labels cuz that happens to everybody even people like springsteen and tom petty who've sued for labels i mean it's it, so right. it's one of those things where it happens to everyone. I mean, is it is it is it hard on on, a, on an individual? Yeah, I mean that first band, The Flames. I mean, you know, we had, like I said, we had a demo deal with Atlantic. We're managed by a guy who did radio promotion for Kiss. Like it, it felt good, and it felt like we had the right thing, and and it didn't happen. That was crushing. That was crushing. Yeah, I mean, that was like a broken heart. You know what I mean? And uh, and and I went through a period of a uh, you know of a few weeks at least where I just I wasn't sure if I wanted to play music because I just couldn't. I mean, you think of all the hours. I just I think of all the hours and the and the energy that's put into bands by all the people in this town. How many? You know, I mean, you could you could build the pyramids with that. You know right. what I mean? It's just so much. And then what happens? And where does it go? You know. So yeah, that was uh, that was heartbreaking. And it, it I don't think it really ever gets much easier if if you're really a- attached to it. You know what I mean? But for me, when I finally made the decision to be a soldier rather than a general, things have been much better. Well, so you're here and you want to sing yeah. and you're in the, the Grasso, the Grassi band? No. Uh, the Zoli band. The Zoli no, band. Grassi would love okay. to have it be called that. Okay. Now, so, so that. So that doesn't go. So mm-hmm. you're out here and yeah. I guess you got to make a decision. I mean, you know, you've come out for the second time mm-hmm. and sort of like if you go back, you're probably going to stay because it, it, it's... You don't come back here. People don't come back here three times. I mean, it's not one of those things. Yeah. No, it felt right. It felt right to be here. You know, just everything made sense to me, you know. Um, so that was – I knew I wasn't going back. But, um, yeah, so we did that, and I en- ended up touring with Kevin Dubro, Quiet Riot, which was an awesome experience. Now, how did that happen? Was that was that was with Kevin Solo? Yeah, he okay. did a solo record in 2004. Cuz then how did that how did that happen to happen? I mean, how does how does this always happen cuz it's funny cuz like you know uh and I think you you've played with uh, Sean McNabb. Yeah, I do. I yeah. play with him in Burning Ring. Yeah, and uh, he and I was on cigars with him too. Okay, and he was on and he was saying how, you know, he quite right found it's like and it wasn't ne- it wasn't like now where there's the internet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can sit there and you can go, "Hey, we need a drummer. Let's go to YouTube and type in drummers that sound like John Bonham, you know what I mean? Right. So how did you hook up with that? Was it just word of mouth, or I mean, how does that? How did it happen then? Because it's a small 
group, but it's still the communications aren't that easy because there wasn't a lot of cell phones weren't as popular and all right. that. So how did that end up happening? How did you end up with him? There was a place called the Cat Club, which was next to the Whiskey on the Sunset Strip. And that all, all these guys seemed to hang out there and there was a jam on Sundays. And so we would go to the jam and then, you know, different guys from different bands would be there. And then they, if they noticed you, they'd be like, oh, hey, listen, uh, you sounded good. I want to talk to you about this, that or the other thing. So. I think the first thing that happened was a band called Bang Tango, and the uh, singer Joe Liste used to always be down there. And he had a band called Beautiful Creatures who were on Warner Brothers. So Joe's like an interesting story because he was on MCA in the late 80s, early 90s, and then got another deal with a completely different band and a different vibe and everything in the early 2000s, this band called Beautiful Creatures. And they went out and did OzFest and everything. So Joe, that was the first thing. So Joe, uh, you know, saw Alex and myself and, and so that whole thing started. And then the Kevin DeBro thing, I don't know how Alex got it, but he ended up playing with Kevin, and then Alex brought me into that. Now, did they say, okay, this is just going to be for the tour? I mean, how does that work? Is it sit there and say, if if we like you, then if we record, we'll bring you in? I mean, how does that work where you're going on the tour, and then it's sort of like, you must think, okay, well, you know, this is cool, and then but you don't know if they're going to keep touring. I mean, how does that work? How do they decide that, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't think to ask any of that, so it didn't bother me. But, you know, the way it happened with uh, Beautiful Creatures was they had a band, a drummer called, uh, named Glenn Sobel, who's now playing with Alice Cooper for the last few years. And so Glenn was having some wrist troubles, so they said, um, hey, could you come in and just help us work on this record? So I said, okay, cool. So we, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, we got some dates and then it was like, okay, so we're going to go on tour. So it never it was nothing ever formal. It was just like, hey, can you, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow, and we're going to be in Poughkeepsie doing a show. And it just kind of kept going like that. Okay. You know, so that's how that was. The Kevin DeBro thing, it was just it was just a tour. Obviously, he was, he was in Quiet Riot, so that, you know, there was no, like, um, delusions about, you know, what that was going to end up being. But that was a lot of fun, and Kevin was hilarious, and – and he was really something that I'll always appreciate was that he was so supportive to both me and Alex, so encouraging. And then we would talk about he was a huge fan of Humble Pie and Free and we had that in common. So we would talk about that. And and he just was always encouraging. You know, you guys sound great. You know, great show. great, Just really super cool. And I, I just always appreciated that. Now, when you went to play with him and you had to play Quiet Riot songs. Now, yeah. Now, how long did they give you to learn them? Because it's a matter of, you know. You have to know them. And yeah. it's, I know drummers are talented where they can pick up something, but you sort of, and fortunately, something like that, like if you have your own, you know, own style, how you think it can go, mm-hmm. you can't do it usually probably because the audience, when they go to see Kevin DeBrow, they want to hear that song the way it's supposed to be. So did right. you have to sit down and like sit there and just go like listen to Quiet Riot constantly? Or did you ask what songs are we going to play so you can learn them so you don't have to learn? Like Ray Lazier said when he auditioned for Corn, he learned like a whole catalog. Right. He said, you know, and it's like, and that's a lot of damn work. I mean, yeah. so how did you attack that doing that? Because you probably liked the music and everyone knew the music. Yeah. I mean, I've been fortunate to play in bands and with players that I grew up liking or okay. playing to their records. So I used to play to that mental health record all the time. I love Frankie Benelli's drumming. So it was like, I knew it. I already knew it. You know what I mean? And I understood it. And so I think that's why it probably felt good to Kevin because I had been in, so influenced by Frankie, who's been his drummer for, you know, they've been in the same band together for years. So it just felt good, you know? So no, there wasn't a, there wasn't a big learning curve with that. So after that, that ends the tour. Yeah. 
So now, once again, now it's like I always say, it's like you're like a free agent, right? Like, like and you're out here, and you have to, you want to work, and you want to mm-hmm. perform, and you know, and there's such. And what do you? I mean, then what do you do? It's not like do you take an Adam Craigslist. I mean, you sit there and go because people know you, and you know. And now you're getting a name, a name where people say, okay, you know, and he, he's, he's excited when he plays, he comes out, he's professional. Mm-hmm. So then, I mean, how does a drummer go from there? What do you? Well, for me, it was, um, stuff just came up, you know what I mean? Like, I think if you're out and you're good and you have a good attitude and even if you're not so good, but as long as you're out and you have a good attitude and you're there, you just, there's only a certain amount of players. It's a, it's a really small scene. And especially if you're a new guy, fresh face, um, that's a good thing, you know. So, but I got asked to do the Bad Boys of Rock tour, which was uh, Kevin DeBro was headlining, and it was Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, and Joe Lestay from Bang Tango, and Janie Lane from Warrant. Now they they all played in one band. They're all so each band, each of those artists is going to do a set. Okay, so Warrant and so, then Stephen with Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and then Bang Tango. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to play with Kevin. That sounds awesome. And it's like, no, you're going to play with Kevin. Then you're going to be the backup band for Bang Tango. You're going to be the backup band for Janie Lane. And then with Steven Adler, I, obviously Steven will be playing drums. So it sounded like a lot of work. Right. With a lot of personalities in that on that bus. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to, again, if it was just Kevin, I'd have been happy to do it, but with the, it was just too much. And you have to learn all that music. Now, once again, you know, you have to sit there and go, okay, I have to learn it. Well, you know, well, that wouldn't phase me. And again, I'm familiar with most of that stuff anyway. So the the music part doesn't bother me because that's what I do. I love music, you know, but, um, just, it is, it was about, I was just not quite yet ready. I think if I was solely focused on being a drummer, I probably would have said yes. Cause it's like, you know what? I'm going to be out playing venues. I'm going to be on tour all summer. Fine, get me out there. But at this point, I went back to singing and, and writing, and which is what I wanted to do uh, at that time. So I ended up doing a record with Mike Chapman, who uh, and produced and wrote stuff for uh, The Sweet, and uh, produced The Knack and Blondie and Tina Turner, wow. and you know, just on and on. And so Mike was one of those guys that I'd seen his name on the back of records, and then I saw Chin Chap as a songwriter on a bunch of different hits. But I didn't realize that that chap and Chapman was the same guy. And once I realized that, I said, oh, I got to work with this guy. Now, how did you work? Did you solicit him or did he come to you or how did you get? Any- I stalked him. Really? This is where the internet was great. So this guy had not really made a record in probably about 10 years. And so I just started Googling him and looking and looking. And so I realized, you know, found out he's from Australia and I found out. I, I was getting into so much goofy detail, like his wife bought a horse in Atlanta in 2004. Like all this, <laughs> I felt like a creep. I knew his kids' names because it's just all this stuff was coming. And I'm just sifting through, just find, trying to find where does this guy even live? And I found out uh, that he lived in Connecticut. Like I was reading through some interview and he said, oh, I've been living in Connecticut. I go, okay, cool, Connecticut. So Chapman, Connecticut, searching that. Boom. And you have a connection because you're from Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut. So I'm like, okay. And so it turns out he lives like a mile and a half down the street from where my dad grew up, where my, where my grandparents' home is. So, um, and I said, oh, that's great. It's Southern Connecticut. It's really beautiful. There's all these stone walls, but I figured I'd have to like walk up to a gate because this guy's a, a freaking legend. I mean, he's right. he, he sold. I mean, we're talking about he sold over 140 million he, records. He's not living. He's not living in a track home. You know, it's like right. he's sitting there going. And in Connecticut, I mean, what people, if you don't get, is you know, a house that you know is. 
$3 million in LA is beautiful. A house that's $3 million in Connecticut is a castle. I mean, it's like yeah. anything back east. The houses, I mean, you see like when Tyson bought a house for like $4 million in Cleveland when he was popular, it was like, oh, well, it's got 32 bedrooms, a bowling alley, a discotheque. Right. Out here, that's like, eh, it's it's 3,000 square feet. You can't you get know? enough land for that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what do you do? So so I'm like, oh, like I said, there's going to be some gate. I can just walk up to this guy's door. So first thing I do is I, in the end, I ended up, when I narrowed out where he lived, I just said, I'm just going to look up in the white pages. So That's looked, when phone books were great. Yeah. And I just, boom, there he is. Okay, cool. So I got his, his number was there, but I didn't call the number, but I got his address. So what I did was uh, made an envelope and sent him a demo of the band. This band was called the Automatic Music Explosion. And so I sent him that. I sent him one on June, uh, January 1st. I sent him another one on February 1st. And then in March, I was back east. And I'm driving down there. And I'm, I'm oh, the guy's, this is where he lives. So I'm going to go to his house. There's a freaking gate. It's the only That's gate it. I've ever seen in Connecticut. It's this big, long driveway. So I push the buzzer. And his wife, uh, Suzanne, uh, says, hello. And and I go, hey, I'm here to see Mike Chapman. And she goes, uh, uh, can I, okay, who who is this? I said, uh, Matt Starr. Who? Which I just love that, you know, just because I'm like, I'm just going to go in. It's yeah. just, who, who, who is this? She goes, is he expecting you? I said, no. And she goes, um, and then the gate opens. So I'm like, okay. So I drive up and she comes out and she goes, hey, hi. I said, hey, I'm Matt. Uh, you know, I live in LA. And, and she goes, you know, he gave me your demo like two nights ago and asked me to listen to it. So he wanted to see what I thought of it. She goes, he just took our kid to get his driver's license. Can you come back in like an hour? I said, yeah, sure. So I drive down the hill. I call the band. I'm like, I got a meeting with Mike Chapman. You know, I'm freaking out. And then uh, go back up and he brings me into his studio and we sit down and have a drink and I just kind of tell him what's going on and he just said, all right, cool. So he had moved to Connecticut because he uh, he, he had two kids, but they were um, both uh, like 17, 18. They were going to go to college. He goes, you know, I'm just I'm ready to get back into it. I knew I couldn't I couldn't raise them in L.A. I didn't want to raise them in L.A. That happens a lot. I've noticed a lot yeah. of people move and they sit there and they go, OK, but then it's like anything. And they suck you back into it because you miss it because that's right. what you love. Yeah. And it was great that you were so assertive. And it's just that's so funny because, you know, my mom always said, ask. You know, and I do that when I send stuff to guests. You know, I send them a message, and you know, right. some don't respond. And I go, well, you know. But then, like today, I was, I've been, was going back and forth with the, uh, the guy from one of the guys from Wang Chung. I love eighties music, and mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, well, we're going to be in, you know, thanks for asking. We live in England, but we're going to be here. And it's like most of the time, if you make the effort and if you have talent, mm -hmm. I mean, it's different. If you made the effort and you sucked, right? Then he wouldn't even ask his wife to listen. She go, oh, oh, God, it's that, it's that star guy. Get him mm -hmm. out of here. But that's the thing. Most of the times, I think. People are one that you take the time, and that's like anything. I think anyone wants to be a mentor, that per se. If you yeah. take the time to look them out, that means you're serious, and most people want to work with people who are serious. Yeah, that's what I found, um, you know, with with Chapman, and I found that with other drummers too. When I was, you know, when I really got serious about having a career as a drummer, and on these guys I've reached out to, have everyone's been great. Everybody. So what happened yeah. with Chapman? So um, so we had a few drinks and chatted, and he was like, okay, cool. He goes, I think this is going to be great. He goes, so uh, let's keep in touch. I'm going to be in L.A. in like a couple weeks. I said, all right, great. So he came out. We played a place called the Fox and Hounds, which is – Yeah, it's on uh, Ventura. Uh, on Ventura. So he's there, and I'm just freaking out. I'm like, this is the guy. I mean, for me to – you know, there are certain songs that just really, really hit me as a kid. And so Ballroom Blitz was one of those songs. So he wrote that and produced that. 
My Sharona, so he produced that. Heart of Glass, he produced that. Uh, kiss You All Over by Exile. My mom used to listen to AM radio. I want to kiss you and when that song came on, man, it just, I'm just like, this is such a boom, I didn't boom, understand, boom. but it's just such a good yeah. song. And the hook just got me. And uh, Hey Mickey, Tony Basil, he wrote that. So there was all these tunes and there was all this same guy and these songs that just had this meaning for me. And they're across the board. I mean, yeah. it's like, I want to kiss you all over and Heart of Glass are nothing near mm-hmm. the same. Mickey, you could put in the same category as My Sharona because they're poppy up. Yeah. But that's what's cool. So this guy has an immense amount of talent. Massive. Yeah, massive. And so um, so we're at the Fox and Hounds. We're playing. And afterwards, he goes, all right. So so then so we're talking and he goes, he goes, I think this is great. Let's make a record. And my drummer said, uh, he goes, so like we in like two or three songs? He goes, no, we're going to make a record. Like this is this guy doesn't do demos. Right. You know what I mean? He's like he makes records in killer studios. That's what he does. So, you know, he flew us out to Connecticut. Uh, we stayed at my grandparents' home, and uh, which was like a few miles down the road. And we made a record with this guy. We spent the summer there. He had a beautiful giant SSL console in his uh, studio. His studio was gorgeous. Beautiful backyard. So... We cut everything to two-inch tape. We do a few takes, go, let's use the first half of that take and the second half, and then we go out in the backyard and play Frisbee, you know, and then splice the tape and come back and listen. I mean, it was the most amazing, beautiful experience. Now, how many songs was on – Was did you did – you... Probably ended up doing about 14, I think. And did you write all of them? Uh, I did, yeah. Okay, so now how long How long was your turnaround? Well, you were already playing those songs. So did he sit yeah. there and go, okay, I want I want you to play this song. I don't want this song. How, did, how was his input in that? Um, he was pretty, um, pretty easy, uh, going in that respect. Cause I think he knew it was right. So he just said, okay, let's just do it. Let's just get in there. And he, I didn't know how he was going to work. I kind of was expecting him because his recordings were so meticulous and so awesome. I thought he was going to like nitpick and get through everything, which I was fully ready for. And he would just make like subtle suggestions and it just seemed like we were hanging out. And we're, and we're having a big party and we're recording. And then as a few days went by, I'm like, he's working us all the time. You know, this is where this is his gift that it just seems like you're hanging out with this great guy. But really, he's like massaging you and getting the best out of you, you know, and figuring out, OK, let's cut. You know, let's break for lunch now. Let's just do that. You know, and OK, well, you know what? We're going to cut today early. We'll come back tomorrow. We're like, come on, we want to track. Now we're going to start early tomorrow. And then we come in and we're all fired up, you know. He was just so brilliant, so brilliant, because you could you couldn't really ever see him working, but he was working constantly. So what happened with that album? Uh, you know, sent it around and just that was it. You know, it just didn't get the traction. And... Even with his name, it didn't really. I mean, that didn't help. No, and you know, and you know, we didn't have management. I know uh, we were all kind of thinking like, well, this guy's a legend, so if we're working with him, we're set. You know, but. I think we, we could have used a team around us, you know, and we just didn't have it at that time because there was definitely obviously a story there to to be had, you know what I mean? So, but uh, it's still a great record, you know. Now, how did you end up playing with Ace Freely, which must have been a uh, amazing for you being a Kiss fan and seeing yeah. the album and being at seven saying, I want to be in this world and you're in the ancillary world. You're not directly with kiss but mm-hmm. you're playing with someone from kiss yeah how did that happen and were you nervous as hell when you because i mean it's like you're meeting one of your childhood idol i mean it's something that's been with you all your life yeah how did you, how did the meeting happen with that i mean now, and now after the album did you decide to go back to drums is that how it happened or after the chapman record yeah i just uh you know i was uh, there's this guy uh uh 
Ross. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, he's got an interesting job. He supplies um, gear for a lot of places in town. And I just said, how did you end up getting this job? Like, this is such a you know, kind of unique line of, of work you're in. And he said, um, he goes, you know, I just started, uh, I came out here, I was playing in bands. He goes, but I just started answering the doors that were getting knocked on. And all the time that I had been singing, I had lots of people say, you know, this is great, this is great. But are you playing drums? I love your drumming. And Kevin DeBro was another one, you know. He'd say to Alex, how's Matt? He's good. Is you playing drums? No. Tell me he needs to play drums. You know, he say, "Hey, I just talked to Kevin. Kevin said you should be playing okay. drums." I said, "Okay, okay, okay." So, um, so I just I realized, you know what? What's the best thing I do? And I said, "I think it's drums. I think it's drums." So I just went back to to doing that, and so I started putting myself out there, and um, and yeah, so I became friends with Jason Sutter. He's one of the guys that I I sought out, you know, because I I looked at uh, you know, just kind of like started looking around online. I said, who's doing what I want to be doing, you know? And and he had a, a great resume, you know, um, and he was cool. And it, I was like, okay, cool. So I reached him, reached out to him, and we ended up hitting it off. And he called me one day and said, hey, uh, you know, Ace's drummer just left. He's like, that's your gig. I was like, okay, cool. So I just started making some calls and uh, ended up knowing somebody who knew one of the guys in the band. They put us in touch. And then a couple weeks later, I was out there auditioning. And um, a couple weeks after that, I got the gig. Now, what's it like, the audition for that? Because first of all, you probably you know a lot of the, so- the Kiss songs, but he has his songs too that he plays. Yeah. So, I mean, what is that like though when you're sitting there and you're auditioning for someone that's been such a big part? of your life. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a little nerve wracking, even though you're a professional and you've played and you've been on the road and you've sang and you know, you are good enough to audition, mm-hmm. but it's gotta be a little bit like psyched out or I mean, what, or is well, it just an overexcitement? Well, he wasn't there. Okay. So it, it was, uh, Anthony Esposito and Todd youth, the guitar player and the drummer. So it was pretty chill. You know what I mean? I was excited, but, um, when they gave me the list of songs to learn, I just said, Okay, cool. Like I already knew him, you know. And that gig, um, they needed somebody who could sing all the Paul Stanley songs. So there's like a bunch of Kiss songs that Paul Stanley sang, and so the drummer would sing those. So I had to sing those as well. But that was great, you know, because I was singing those since I was eight, you know. So um, there wasn't really much. I just needed to learn their version, you know what I mean. So I I went online and listened to how they were doing them most recently, you know. And you said it took a few weeks. Uh, yeah, I was out. I got was out in New York within a couple weeks, and then a couple weeks after that, I got the call. Like, hey, you're, you know, you got it. Now, what's it like singing when you drum? I mean, because you already have so much stuff going on drumming, yeah. and then now you got to sit there and you got to sing. Yeah. I mean, how do you not concentrate? I mean, I would think because we're all over. We we are all over conscious. I mean, we're conscientious. We sit there, you know, and you know, you're sitting there and you're drumming, and then now you got to sing. I mean, that must be just. You must have to use like both sides of your brain, like sides of a brain that we don't even have. Like there must, drummers must have like something down the middle where you sit there and go, okay, well, we're going to do this side and this side to play this, 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 and then just something down the middle is going to make us sing. I mean, how, I mean, it must be very, very tough. And I guess, and you must not want to overthink it because that would make it even tougher. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had someone ask me recently, they said, she said, what, what are you thinking about when you're drumming? I just want to know what you're thinking. I said, hopefully nothing. You know, and she thought I was joking and I said, no, I'm serious. I mean, hopefully nothing. I just, I'm just doing it, you know? And, um, so, I mean, is it hard? Not for me. So I guess it comes naturally to me, you know what I mean? But I don't really have to think about it. So it's kind of like, I don't know how I do it, you know, but I've always loved singing and I've always loved lyrics and melody and phrasing. And then I've always loved drumming too. So it, 
it's just kind of natural. But it's sometimes I sing better when I'm playing drums. I notice that because I'm not thinking about singing. I'm not okay. like focused on my breathing or my tone. I'm just getting it out. You know, the only thing that logistically the mic stand is a pain in the ass. And a headset looks so dorky, but it's like really right. – I've never done it before, but it's so hard to make it look cool. Yeah, it, it's true. You but logistically, it. it's really helpful, you know, so – but I haven't gone there yet. So logistic, you know, so that mic stand is, is hard because, you know, my hands are swinging, you know, and so I have to tone that down when I'm singing. Um, and then the breath, you know, depending on what I'm singing, I have to conserve my. Because you guys have to breathing. be in great shape. I mean, you guys, you guys have quite the workout when you're drumming. I mean, yeah. it's like everything. You're doing. I mean, it's like, and it's funny. I mean, are there any fat drummers? I'm trying to think. I don't. I mean, I'm trying to think. Is oh there, yeah. Because I mean, and I'm thinking, how how is a drummer? I, I don't. I'm friends with some, so I'm not gonna name them. But you know, let's we'll deal with the dead ones. I mean, John Bonham, you know, was like, you know, he was heading towards the grave, but, um, you know, but he was never when he was. Early, early right. 70s, he was a, a thing guy. But, other, you know, he was kind of a, a bigger dude. And Bobby Chouinard, who's just so amazing, Billy Squire's drummer, you know, he was a... Just because it's such a workout. You know, yeah. You just think you guys are constantly, I mean, you know, even like that movie Whiplash, which I, you probably saw. Yeah, sure. Now, what did you think of that? As a drummer, what was your thought? Because I've heard some people, I've had different people. Some people say, oh, it's a piece of crap. I thought it was very entertaining. I'm not a drummer. Yeah. So I don't, you know, that's not my world. But what did you think of it? As a drummer, it was fine. You know, I I, I thought they did a pretty good job of, of making it look like he was actually playing. Um, the the Band-Aids thing was silly because th- there's no a Band-Aid. We, it's duct tape. Anyone who plays drums knows. Okay. You can't put a Band-Aid. It'll rip off. In a, in a, you could just put a Band-Aid and hit the drum once. It's going to pop off. So the bleeding and stuff, that was a bit excessive. But, um, you know, all in all, it was cool. As a movie, I thought it was okay. I mean, I thought the guy who played the uh, the teacher was was awesome right. as far as acting but it was a little disjointed i kind of and then he got into the car accident and then he's gonna go play a gig after he's car oh, yeah, i know i go wait so now it's super like what movie are we in you know like i mean i know i forgot yeah he's like walking he's like he's gonna make it it's like dude no you aren't because you know, i i had a bad head injury once and you know what i wasn't going anywhere i was going straight to the damn hospital right you're not gonna get up and you know so okay so now with ace what was it like going on the road with him because you're going to row with a legend and the mm-hmm. the crowds must just be insane because i mean he's the rock and roll hall finally they're in the rock and roll hall of fame it yeah. took forever it's like yeah. Yeah, let's put these people in but we won't put a kiss in right but i mean what was that like going on a row with him was it was it something exciting it was great no it was great i mean it's he's very chill he's very cool he's been sober eight years he's just um in the time i've known him he's just more and more like on point and we did a record last year and and his work ethic was amazing i mean we're in there 10 hour days and then he's back at the hotel for another two hours with his Pro Tools rig in his hotel, like cutting stuff up and listening and, you know, writing stuff. So, um, no, it's a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun, you know. And, and I and I learned a lot from him, I, you know, before we actually played together. So I got the gig and then I go and, and we rehearsed uh, the band for two days without him. And then he comes in on the third day. And so I said, is there anything like I should know that he he really likes or doesn't like? And they said, don't rush. Don't play too fast. And I'm like, well, I don't have to worry about that because that's – I'm always like pulling it back. So I would pull it back and then Ace would pull it back and it would just sat so far back and I really liked it. And then the guitar player was like – came from this punk thing. He came up with Murphy's Law and all the degeneration, all these New York bands. So he's like, come on, play it faster. And I'm like, I'm going to play it where the guy who's been playing arenas for the last 30, 40 years is going to play it. Right. You know, so I really learned like just keep it back and don't get it. It just sounds better when it's back. 
you know, and, and I already knew that, but to actually like do that and then have guys trying to pull me musically, pull me faster. And I just sit back there with him. That was really super cool. He just, when he plays, it sounds like an arena. It's just massive, you know? Now, how did you end up playing on the album? Because I believe, didn't Anton Fig play on most of his stuff? He did, and yeah. Now, how did you get, that seems very, you know, because everyone knows Anton Fig. I mean, he's been playing for Letterman. I mean, what a what a prime gig that is. Yeah. I mean, you know, you sit there, you know, every night. And he's been since the beginning. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been like all those years of Letterman. And it's, and Paul Schaefer's great. So, yep. was, you know, but how did you end up getting the gig on the album instead of Anton? He, um, we had done maybe like three shows and he asked me, um, Hey, do you do a lot of studio work? And I said, yeah, I do. And he asked me, he goes, what kind of drums you got? Which I thought was an interesting question. I go, Ludwig's. He goes, oh yeah? I go, yeah, like vintage Ludwig's. Oh, what kind of snare you play? I said, Black Beauty. He goes, yeah, I'm going to be doing some demos, you know, uh, we, we know, uh, we should, I'll be in touch, you know. I was like, okay, cool. But he wanted to know what kind of snare drum I had, which I thought was just so, uh, such a cool question because it's really kind of the... As far as drums, that's the main one, you know. So, um, but anyway, um, within a couple of weeks, we had actually, our son was born. Our son Xander was born. This is two years ago. And um, we were in the hospital. And then the day before we're going to go home, I got a call from him. Hey, I'm going to check out this studio tomorrow. You want to, you come out and we'll play some stuff. And I said, uh, uh, I go, hold on. I'm in the hospital. My wife, we just had a baby. goes, Oh, congratulations. I go, yeah, hold on. And I told my wife, she goes, yeah, you got to go, man. I was like, all right, cool. So that's how it started. And uh, so I kept saying, cool. So, you know, when's Ant, when are you getting together with Anton? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And it just it just never came up. That was it. We just kept working. And I think, you know, he was was feeling out like, okay, is this – because, you know, someone can play live and someone can play in the studio. Right. They're two different worlds. You know what I mean? And um, so I, and I know that he was, you know, just kind of feeling it out. And I obviously, I guess it just felt good for him. And we just kept going. So we ended up doing the whole record, you know. And then after that, you went to play with Mr. Big. Yeah. Now, what was the, was that tour worldwide or what was that tour? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the first run was uh, through Europe and Russia and then all through Asia. Um and then uh, spent two weeks in Japan, and then we did South America and, and the U.S. That must so. be amazing. I mean, it's a lot of travel. It just must be, must be so cool because you see these great places. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome, yeah. I, I love uh, traveling, and, and uh, I really love Japan. I've, actually, I've been really feeling, like, drawn to Japan lately. Um, it's I, the mustache. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the records, actually. They're, they're, I'm, I have, like, you know, probably 2,400 record, vinyl records, you know, and when I was there, I bought – I. I had to get another suitcase to bring home all it's, the records I bought. It's funny because vinyl, I left them all at my sister's house when I moved out here, and I'm probably all warped. But I have a bunch of cassettes. I'm like one of those people, but now yeah. I don't I don't have a cassette player anymore. I, I had one, but then right. I, when my girlfriend moved out here, she's like, well, do you really need these three boom boxes in your closet? You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I guess not. Yeah. Do you really need I, like I bought like a little crappy walk. Do you, are you really going to use that? Yeah. I guess not. And then I go, oh, man, I have all these cassettes, and they're, and they're, and they're good. And cassettes sound good. It's tape, man. It's, right. I'm, I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm all for technology, but cassettes sound good. Yeah. It's, you know? So now how did – now did you – was it your idea for the Lucky Strike or how did you get involved with Lucky Strike? People, you know, every Wednesday, uh, Matt plays at Lucky Strike uh, – it's, it's 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 the bowling alley. It's right yeah. on, in Hollywood and Highland, and it's great because you know you can take the subway over there. You, there's parking there, but it's this all-star jam. And then I went, I'd heard about it, and uh, I went a few weeks ago, 
And it was a blast. I mean, was that? Did you start that, or how did that whole thing start? No, I, I know I you're got, very involved. Yeah, I got asked to do it by Chuck Wright, who's a bass player for Quiet Riot, has been for many years. And so, um, so Chuck uh, had the original um, idea with the club, and so he asked Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses and myself to do it, and um, sounded great. Sounded great, you know. So we started doing it, and uh, the first week we had 400 people. Oh wow! Now I've never been to a jam that has had more than 80. It, even if, you know, whoever's playing, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Um, so we were all like, whoa, okay, something is happening. And and there hasn't been a jam in town for, for a while, you know? And they used to wanted to bake potato, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, there was one, like as far as the rock ones, there was one at this place called Harper's. And then there was one at Lucy's. Um, which 51. That, yeah, 51, yep. And then, um, you know, there's always that Monday night one at uh, – at the baked potato, which is a bit more like progressive fusion, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah, 400 people the first week is just amazing, you know. So we just kept going. And and what I wanted to do was, you know, I'm, I have a lot of friends in the rock circle, but I also have a lot of friends in other circles, a lot of it because of my drumming relationship. So guys that play pop gigs or guys that do different kinds of music. So really in the country scene. So I've been bringing in people from all different scenes, you know. So um, – yeah, that's what's happening, you know what I mean? And it's just it just keeps growing. I mean, we've had like 600 people the last few weeks. We had uh, Nuno from Extreme was down. That's when I was there. I was there. Yeah. Because um, uh, Sean McNabb played that night. Mm-hmm. And then Lucky was going to go on. He's, we get there and he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, I'm going on the last, like one of the last sets. I'm like, yeah, it's the last night of Letterman, dude. I said, I came to see it, but I, I got to go home to watch the yeah. last night of Letterman. So I, yeah. I, we, me and my buddy and his girlfriend, we so funny we took the subway back to universal it would have been just easier just to drive into hollywood than taking the mm-hmm. subway from there but it's a great time and, and it's funny what's cool about it is, is that there's no cover and they don't gouge you like they have certain cans of beer or three bucks and a jacket something's like five bucks and, yep. and and to get that that's what's amazing is you're seeing if you like music you're seeing amazing talent i think mitch perry was on that night and yep. uh someone from um white snake played yeah, Joel Holkstra, yep, guitar player. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've had Jason Bonham, Doug Pinnock from King's X. If he's in town, he's there. He was there last week, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Wizard from Mother's Finest. This, I did a, a, a song and a video with him like six months ago, and then we started doing this. I'm like, oh, he's got to come out. So he comes out. You know, free, we frequently have a horn section there. We got um, the guys from Fishbone come out. It's it's diverse, and we're just continuing to. Now, do you go every week? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm the drummer. You okay, know so you're mean? the, you, but but then the other people come and take your place when the drums. Yeah, and, yeah, and so it's a fine balance because sometimes I look and go, shit, I'm not even very barely playing, and other right. times I go, God, I got a lot of songs, <laughs> so I start doling them out, and I, and again, now I also sing, so I, I'll, I'll, they'll have me, you know, front on different songs as well. Then we have a few minutes left. Yeah. Um. Now, what are you doing with your? Uh, are you still in the uh, burning? The... Play with Burning Rain. Yeah. Now, are you guys? Did you guys? Because. Do you play a lot or do you do gigs? Or? We have not played a- enough for as much as we would like to play and as much as the fans would like us to play. You know, everybody, we're all in different bands. So you got Doug Aldrich who when we started, uh, when I started playing with him, you know, he was in White Snake and now he's doing Raiding the Rock Vault in Vegas and he's uh, he's going out with Glenn Hughes this, this fall. Um, you know, Sean McNabb played with Dokken and, you know, I'm out was doing the record with Ace and now I'm playing, uh, been playing with Mr. Big and so – Everybody's busy, you know, so it's a matter of just getting everybody's schedules together. But I, I think we're going to be working on a new record sometime soon. Now, do you still write? Are you still writing and singing on your own or are you just saying I'm just going to drum? I mean, besides that band, are you trying to do anything solo or? Yeah, you know, I I have 
a pretty much a record worth of stuff that um, is really good. And I just kind of let it go, you know, and I've been picking it back up over the last like month or so. And I've been listening. I used to have a micro cassette recorder for, to when I would write, but now it's all on my phone. So I was just flipping through and I'm like, man, I got some really good bits here, you know, that things. So I'm, been, I'm getting it back, you know, I'm getting interested in, in doing it again. And, and not that I would not stop playing drums because I love that, but I can do both, you know, and, and from the, um, you know, uh, the relationships that I have from playing drums, um, I'm able to utilize that and, and get, get my music out there. So I'm looking forward to doing some stuff. And I got a lot of super, super talented friends who I know would be happy to contribute as well. So there's a lot of possibilities. So I'm just kind of seeing what I can do, you know. Now, do you teach? Do you do clinics or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. How, how does that work? You just you sit there going, I'm going to come and um, people come and I'll I mean, how does that work? So clinics, um, you know, you're supported by your companies, you know, so Ludwig and Peisty and Vader and, you know, the companies. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll – they'll just have like a month worth of promotion and you show up and, and teach. And usually that's on the back of a tour, you know what I mean? So wherever you, wherever you are, you're going to be there. That saves a plane ticket. Um, and so those are great. I love doing those, you know, and I also teach lessons. I teach uh, a lot of students via Skype. Okay. So I'm teaching guys all over the world. Isn't you that know? great? I mean, how it's easy it is for you for Skype. I mean, it's like you can it's sit great. there. I mean, it's 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 made so much easier. I mean, just the internet when you think about it. And just like, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you had to get in the bands when you're earlier, they didn't have all the internet. So right. it made you actually hustle. But now it makes the hustle it's so much easier because you can sit there and you can reach out to tons of people where before you couldn't. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I tell guys at clinics, I'm like, look, you got Facebook, man, we had a phone book Oh yeah. and a rotary phone and you're calling people. And if they don't pick up, you just got to call back some other time. You know what I mean? It was like, and they have class, you had classified ads, like in drummer magazine, the drummer stuff we had to find. Yeah. Now yeah. do you have, are you going to tour with anyone soon or is that nothing lined up? Uh, we have some fly out dates with burning rain. I don't have any other touring plans at the moment. Do you like, do you like touring? I mean, now that you have a child at home or do, yeah. you, do is it hard for you to leave? I love it. It's hard to leave. And, and then it's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just the road's fun. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, that's what I wanted. That's what I always wanted to do. You know what I mean? So I'm out there and playing music. I'm traveling, seeing different parts of the world. And then you get to come home. What's the biggest crowd you've ever played in front of? If uh, you could say just an estimate. Uh, it's uh, It was about 20,000, I think. Yeah. And now do you prefer – I know a lot of people prefer intimate to the bigger. I mean, what, what do you prefer? Unless you're indoors, once you get over like 10,000, it, it just – they just kind of – it just goes on. You know what I mean? You just see a bunch of heads, but it's not – so uh, I, th I mean I think like the, my favorite gig was playing Budokan with Mr. Big and that was 14,000. It was sold out. And so that place goes up like the, in Japan. They love stacking things. Okay. You know, they'll have a record shop and it will be four floors. Each room will be like, you know. 12 by 12, but it goes up. They, they love stacking. So, you know, Budokan just goes up, up, up. You know what I mean? So it's very intimate feeling. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, you know, like 10,000 indoors, that is cool. But, you know, playing a big outdoor festival is awesome too. You cool. Know? Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was great. Um, give your info. Like if people contact you, they follow you, tweet, you do all that stuff. What do you do? We'll give yeah. all your info. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on all the all the, all the the media platforms. But uh, it's just Matt Star Music and Star has two R's. So my website is Matt Star Music. If you look up Matt Star Music okay. on Facebook, Matt Star Music on Twitter, it's all Matt Star Music. Do you tweet a lot? 
you know, no, no, I don't. I, I, I have it connected to my Facebook, but I know it's we're not. Gonna, we're going to get you tweeting. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, I want to thank you. So if you have people, go check it out, mattstarmusic.com. Actually, the website's up right now, and you have a bunch of stuff. There's a store. It's got its pictures, press, videos, all that stuff. And check them out and follow them. Also, uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Or go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have... As of today, 381 episodes up on there. So check that out. I'm always putting up three a week usually. Um, you can send me an email. Tell me who you'd like to hear. Cooper at coopertalk.net. Facebook at Steve Cooper. There's a Cooper Talk fan page. Someone told me to do. I haven't updated that since like June. So don't, <laughs> I mean, it's too much work. And uh, don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. As you know, it's for three years ago. I was out of the hospital with that heart problem. And now my cardiologist said I'm healthier than I'll ever be. Ever be. And I wrote that cookbook. It's 125 easy recipes. They're easy. There's no pictures. There's no list of ingredients because you get you get frustrated. Guys get frustrated. It's cooking for one. So it's so much cheaper to eat at home than go down and eat that crap food that's going to kill you. So that's stopthesalt.com. Check that out and uh, order it there. You can order it on Amazon or you can order it on uh, Barnes & Noble. But I make more money if you order it at stopthesalt.com. And I will even autograph for it for you. I'll sign it for you. So do that. So once again, check out Matt Star Music. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Go to coopertalk.net. Send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. And that's about it. Uh, we have a great show uh, today. We're going to have a great show for the rest of the year. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vitamins, take your vegetables. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>